belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 22nd, 2021 is called Becoming. The speaker is Laura Holland and the location is Vesper's Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Right. Who here started school this week? As a teacher, a student, a parent, somebody that had to wait longer than usual traffic to try to figure out what was going on and realizing, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So this week was all about school starting in the Holland House, as I know it was probably for quite a few of this year. And I love the start of school. Like, this is my favorite because I feel like it is the, like, one time of year where everybody gets on my wavelength. Like, I tell Tim frequently that my love language is efficiency. It's not one of the, like, officially recognized ones, but I still think it should be. I love it. Like, this is the time of year where we're able to put organizational, like, structures into place, maybe even organize our closet just because why not? This is a time where we have new routines. We might even get, like, something that we can hang on on our kids back to the door so that their clothes are picked out, like, weeks in advance. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I love the start of school. Honestly, I even kind of love the nightmare pickup lines because that gives me time to scroll through and look at other people's cute social media posts of what their kids were wearing and what they want to be when they grow up. We're going to have a lot of astronauts, you guys. Like, this is really hopeful in the next, like, 10 to 20 years. It's awesome. I love it. But it was also really interesting to be kind of immersed in all things school starting and allowing myself to realize that this excitement is going to wean a little bit, and soon the minutia is going to set in. To be thinking about this at the same time that I was working on a message on becoming provided quite the juxtaposition. Because for most of us, our schools are built on the foundation that learning is sequential, it's linear, it naturally builds on itself, There's a clear next step, and it's one size fits most. We have checklists of graduation requirements. There's a clear goal that is graduation, and we are graded constantly on our performance. Achievement is celebrated. Our output is, it's scored, it's ranked, it's rated. And, you know, it's really no wonder with that kind of conditioning We can misunderstand and be confused when we start talking about becoming in our engagement in a church setting. We can assume that there will be clear next steps. We can find ourselves believing that we're going to graduate or have graduated to a more enlightened level of being, and it just might feel sometimes like we're being graded on our performance. But the process of becoming in church process of becoming as someone that is loved by God is not at all what most of us experienced in a school setting. And expecting it to take that form is probably going to lead to some disappointment, 
some confusion, some hurt. And I would say that it also damages our relationships with each other. Why? Well, for starters, the process of becoming is not linear. My process will not look like your process. My story will not be your story, and that doesn't make either of them wrong. We like hearing other people's testimonies, because on some level, I think we know that all stories are different. And we like to celebrate the unique ways that God is working in everyone else's lives. Yet, when it comes time to talk about spiritual growth or spiritual development, we sit at a table and all of a sudden we assume that there is this expectation that everyone's growth and experience should and will follow the same trajectory and hit the same milestones at the exact same time. Another difference, we're not graded on how we are becoming. We've discussed over the past few weeks that we're already in. That's not the marker. And so we're already worthy and accepted as we are. We already belong. If our becoming isn't about marking things off of a checklist or ascending a mass predetermined discipleship pathway or addressing the gaps in our worthiness to be a part of community, what does becoming mean? Why are we talking about becoming? What are we becoming and who? I think it's probably the more important question. Who are we becoming? So, I've heard it said, and honestly, I myself have taught before, that the process of becoming is, in essence, going to look more like Jesus. That we model our life after his characters, his ways, and his mission. And I stand by that in its totality. But we like to truncate it. We make that shorter. And often we say becoming is looking like Jesus. But when we do that, we run the risk of a few things happening. First, we decide that we all need to look, think, and act alike. Because if we're all acting like Jesus, won't that all be the same? That's like, that makes sense that that would be the end point of, of that being a goal. It's also tempting to believe that we just need to know more. We just need to learn more. Just more study. And growing in knowledge and understanding is definitely part of it. But many of us are already educated past our level of obedience. And what good does knowing more do when what we do with the information remains unchanged? Another trap we can fall into is almost the flip side of that knowing without acting. And that's the idea that our beliefs, our actions, and those of others, that those are what qualify us. So if we keep doing, eventually we'll get there. But the motivation here is really what's important because we have to ask, is, are we doing out of an overflow of God's love? Is that what is spurring us to action? Or is it a fear that if we don't do enough, we're unworthy? For those like me who are more achievement-oriented, we have to be really careful because oftentimes it's not our actions themselves that are the issue, but it is that motivation. In other words, we forgot the concept of Imago Dei that we talked about a few weeks ago. This idea that we are all created in God's image, we are his image bearers, so that gives us inherent worth. We've already got it. We don't have to do or prove anything to be loved. Using the language of belonging that John taught on last week, another way to say this is we already belong. Our belonging isn't contingent 
on our doing. So if we're already loved and we already belong, full stop, why do we find ourselves believing sometimes that like, yeah, we are totally people of worth. We definitely belong. But what would make us belong even more is if we follow these five simple steps. Why do we find ourselves thinking like, yes, I am a person of worth. I am an image bearer of the Most High. But there's this huge gap in me that this routine, if I just establish that in my life, this is really going to make me worthier. Like, we've already reached that pinnacle. And so we need to think about the way that we are thinking about this because no, none of that is, none of that's it. I'm someone that typically thinks it's a lot better to focus on what we are for, those things that are good, than to rail against the things that we are against. But there are some times that we need to name the things that we are against. And this is, this is one of those for me that I feel strongly about. I think that these are areas where calling out the distortion is important. And I also think that part of our process of becoming is naming and turning from these lives that we've been telling ourselves because it's easier. Changing our outward behavior, adopting routines, and following a few simple steps is an easier path. But who's that path for? And is that path a reflection of the overflow of love that's leading us to become? Put very directly, the easy way out is very rarely the real way, as much as I, an efficiency-loving person, would love for that to be the case. So these aren't the answer, is what I am submitting. But there is something I think we can lean into in this. Leonard Sweet is an author, and full disclosure, he's also my seminary professor. So you might hear about him a few times. But he writes, Jesus did not come to show us how to be more like God, but how to be the true humans God first created us to be. The whole message of Jesus' life was not, let me show you how to be more spiritual. Rather, it was, let me show you how to be authentically human. Building on this concept, author and theologian Henry Nouwen proposed that when the imitation of Christ does not mean to live a life like Christ, but to live your life as authentically as Christ lived his, then there are many ways and forms in which a man can be a Christian. This turns the idea of being Christ-like on its head. No longer is the goal to figure out how to act exactly like Jesus, which, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, was always an understanding that was filtered through our experiences, preferences, and, um, and life experiences. But instead is to see Jesus as a model of what it looks like to step fully into who we were made to be, to live our lives as authentically us. Now look, I know this could super easily veer into a message on relativism or like a, that's my truth, uh, territory. And so like, I need you to know that I'm aware of that. And that is the exact opposite of what I'm saying here. So like, hang with me. Because what so many of us have been sold is this mass produced concept of spiritual growth that ignores us, it ignores our wiring, it ignores our giftings, and it ignores the way that God's image has been burned into us individually and uniquely. 
there is no one-size-fits-all approach to becoming, which means it's going to take a lot more work. We have a lot more that we need to be intentional about and invested in when it's not the easy way. When we can't just look to the person next to us and copy their answers, copy what they're doing, their next step, but instead we must lean in and connect to God, learn how to listen to ourselves, and be in intentional community with each other, it's the harder road. But I would submit that it's also what we're called to and that it's the more fruitful work and ultimately the better road. But as I was reading through those quotes, I found myself asking okay, cool, but what does it mean to be authentically human? And what does it mean to be authentically me? How are each of us authentically us? And how do we go about becoming in a way that's rooted in community? Because that is important. It is rooted in our faith, that we don't get caught up in this idea of relativism. That we are not swayed by fads or easy answers. And we've been talking the past few weeks about the ethos of grace. We've discussed shalom and hospitality and belonging, and each of those have touched on our interconnectedness. We belong to God, ourselves, and each other. We're all guests, therefore sharing an inherent connection at God's table. Becoming is no different. It follows the same pattern. Our spiritual growth, our process of becoming, is marked by our relationship with God, ourselves, and with each other. And though each of our paths are individual, this is not a solo journey. Philippians 1, 9 through 10 reads, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Our growth is an overflow of the love that we experience from belonging. Belonging is what anchors us to God, to community and ourselves, while we are becoming who God has made us to be. Becoming is often first driven by our relationship with God, and really the discernment, the awareness, and the desire to change are an overflow of our love and connection with him. As Tim often says, it's not about the stuff, it's about Jesus. There's really getting to that root. And we were also talking about message this week, and he just commented in an offhand way. He's like, I mean, I know that we're talking about becoming, but I wonder if it might not be more to the point to talk about come, be. And I feel like that reversal of the, the word is helpful when we are talking about what Jesus is inviting us into. Because he's inviting us into a relationship where we don't need to mask who we are. We're already known. And we can become in a place of rest and belonging, not doing and proving. We can just come and be who we are. Growing up, I was a dancer, and I was on the dance team for my junior high and high school. And so every, every year we would have these competitions that we would go to. And they were typically hosted in um, the gyms of neighboring communities. These competitions were a great chance for the booster clubs in the hosting town to make some money. So these booster clubs would often have like really great concession stands. There was this one time where instead of a concession stand, what the booster club was selling were shout outs. So 
between individual dances, people could pay to have the MC give an announcement to their favorite dancer. And so, I mean, since it was junior high students, like there were like these like people that were professing their undying love forever to another seventh grader. So those were super cool. And then there were a lot of like variations of like, we love you, you can do this, love mom and dad. There was one shout out that I kid you not, I will never ever in my life forget. As this team of dancers is running onto the, to the gym floor to get into their opening positions, the MC says, oh, we have one more for this team. And I don't remember the girl's name because honestly that part's not super important. But, Laura, shake what your mama gave you. Love, Grandpa Roy. <laughs> like, the whole thing is just like, oh. <laughs> but I will never hear any variation of the phrase, shake what your mama gave you, without being immediately transported back to the, that gymnasium. Wondering, who is Grandpa Roy? What's his story? And also, weirdly, thinking about Jesus' baptism. Okay. <laughs> this is real. Okay. So in the recounting in Matthew 3, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus is coming out of the water, which is this moment marking him stepping into his ministry, into his purpose, his, his mission, him being authentically who he is, the heavens part and on the gymnasium loudspeaker of Israel, God's voice comes through the clouds, and he says, this is my son, and in him I take great delight. Other versions say, and in him I am well pleased, or who is chosen and marked by my love. This joy, delight, and pride were evident because Jesus, who was chosen and marked by love already, was stepping into his purpose. God was looking and saying, this is who I've made him to be. We might be even able to kind of push it and say God was saying, this is my son. And as part of this legacy, he's going to live the life that I've set out for him. He's about to shake what his mama gave him. I don't know. Maybe we can take it there. What we know is that the things in that moment that were being celebrated were those things that were inherently and authentically part of Jesus's makeup. Those were the things being called out and celebrated. And that's who Jesus was stepping into being. Now, God doesn't always speak over a heavenly loudspeaker, even though that would be awesome. And that's not even how he communicated with Jesus as his ministry continues. Instead, what we see more of is Jesus retreating in solitude. He's praying and spending time with God before he acts. There's this pattern that emerges in Jesus's life where he will retreat, and then there's a miracle. He'll retreat, a sign, a retreat, a wonder. Spending time discerning God's will was always the first step of his acts of becoming. Before Jesus took new steps into being authentically who he was called to be, he first spent time with God. Through relationship with God and discernment from the Holy Spirit, the next steps of our journey will also become clearer when we start to establish and follow this path.
pattern. Because routines and patterns aren't wrong, we've got to think through that motivation. We've got to think through the why. Amy shared a really interesting article this week about one of the characters in a C.S. Lewis um, Narnia series who became wholly who he was, who he was supposed to be, which was a dragon, because of community, within the context of community. But what stood out to me most in this article was a statement about the relationship of the characters with Aslan, the lion. The article states, in Lewis's universe, the greatest key to spiritual growth is simply learning to recognize Aslan. Whatever world we are in and whatever shapes he takes and however deep or terrible our temptations, the key to growth is recognizing the loving presence of that great lion. The key to our growth is recognizing the loving presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not summoning the presence. He's always here. He's already here. But it's recognizing it. Retreating to listen. Retreating to learn the voice. The more time we spend, the more we'll learn how he speaks uniquely to us. There's this cycle of love from becoming that leads to overflow. And from that overflow, we are led to become, which then in turn, because we are spending more time with God, allows us to recognize the voice of the one who calls us beloved, and the cycle continues. As we learn to better recognize God's presence and what he's saying to us, we also become better at understanding ourselves. Okay, so the idea of being in relationship with ourselves can be, like, kind of new agey. Um, there might be some people that are like, I'm not sure, I love where this might be going, but there are things we know about ourselves that nobody else does. There are these new ideas that we're forming, new thoughts about things that we're still rolling around in our mind, and we're not quite sure that we're ready to own them yet, we're definitely not sure to share them with others. There are things that we fear, that we're afraid to even admit to ourselves, shaping experiences or memories that really help guide us to who we are and who we are becoming. Being in relationship with ourselves and the process of becoming more ourselves requires an awareness of those things. We need to be paying attention to how we think, how we feel, what we believe how we respond to people, how we respond to situations. We're still carrying a grudge from a drive through earlier this week. Like, those are things to pay attention to. So we need to be curious. We talked a few weeks ago about being curious as an act of being a hospitable guest. That curiosity is not just meant to be an outward expression of curiosity. We need to be curious about ourselves because there are still more things to, to learn and to, to know. I can't be the only person that is completely different than I was at 16. And thank goodness for that. Across the board, we're still becoming. We're still growing. And so this is the internal growth. This is where awareness starts to take hold. And sometimes it's refining our beliefs and understanding that these things begin to come to the surface. Awareness of self is crucial. 
This is also where things that come to us in prayer begin to take shape and move from impressions to things we feel led to act on. I wonder also if part of becoming is taking responsibility for how we think and how we feel and seeking to pay better attention to the changes within ourselves. Changes in what catches our attention, changes in what breaks our heart, what moves us to action, to where our beliefs are becoming more strongly held and where we're noticing shifts or refining or paying attention to what we believe today that's totally different than what we believed last year. This is the work of becoming. And the outcome is more likely to be a subtle shift than an entire overhaul. Kind of a refining, a chiseling, instead of a tearing down and a rebuilding. But both are possible and both happen. One of the biggest markers for many in this process of becoming is coming to the realization that most things in life, and therefore our approach to them, aren't black or white. They're not either or, and they're not some binary that we falsely apply to them. Embracing a both and, yes, and, no, but, and other expressions of nuance with an awareness that the continual process of becoming means a continual refining of our understanding too is a huge part of this. And these areas of, of change and becoming, some of these are ones that we will readily embrace because they represent an awareness of something that we really like about ourselves that we are really happy to step into or open up new doors of opportunity. Honestly, some are just benign, like owning the fact that you prefer small groups to large ones, or that just because you, like, detailed work comes really easily to you, you don't have to like it. Like, these are things that are helpful, but are just kind of neutral things. Some of these changes, however, can be a bit harder. And regardless of whether it's welcoming a change that is a positive thing, for stepping into a hard season of growth, this is the tough stuff. I've heard it said that every augmentation involves an amputation. It's like the becoming version of every yes you say to one thing is a no to something else. But while some of these amp or augmentation aided amputations are welcome, sometimes what's amputated is something that we actually like or something that we found security in. And these, these are the changes that are harder to make. Maybe this is a belief that we once held that was our connection to a community and we realize that is what we are now believing could really harm that connection, those people that we had a relationship with. Maybe it was this idea that we championed to the point that it became part of our identity. And if we step away from that, who are we? Like, what does this look like now? These things can be hard. Sometimes it's when we realize that something we said or did or felt really hurt other people. And we have to come to terms with owning that, and it is daunting. And honestly, this is the time when I would far prefer a four-step process. That looks a whole lot easier when owning it is hard. This knowing, this becoming often starts with an inkling, with this middle-of-the-night realization that something in you has changed. And that's the starting point. But we do know that that's not where it ends. So I would ask you to be thinking, what do you need to do that who the you are you know yourself to be 
matches who we know you to be. What do we need to do so that there is alignment in that? What are you beginning to realize about yourself, either personally or how you think or feel about something? And with whom do you need to share what you're learning? Because becoming isn't a solo journey. And the relationships that we have with each other are vital to this process. But it's also important to recognize that becoming in community is a two-way street. Like, what other people help us do, we are to return. This is not something that, like, we all just are able to bask. We have a role in this. Um, I also want to say right now, before we're talking any more about community, that this year that has really felt like a season of stunted relational growth, a time where relationship building is hard. This, to me, does not feel like something I'm talking about because I'm practicing it. This is something that's aspirational. And so maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only person that has had a hard year with COVID and new jobs and moving and just life happening around us. But if it's not just me, if other people hear this and think, this is, this is going to be a little ambitious to embrace this part of it, hang in there. Hang in there. And honestly, recognizing how we feel about this, being able to name it, that's part of the work. This is part of the work of like becoming who we are and knowing ourselves. So, sorry about that. But the two-way street, being in a relationship with others helps us to see these new perspectives. We become mindful of other stories and backgrounds, and it allows us to have the aperture of our awareness just open. We become aware of other ways of being, of thinking, and other opinions, and these sometimes serve just to strengthen our own previously held opinions. But other times, we do find ourselves expanding or shifting our opinion simply by being around other people. But the deeper levels of relationship reveal even more. For one, witnessing other people going through their own process of becoming can help us understand our own. We can give each other the gift of going second when we're willing to share what we're experiencing. And we're also better able to extend grace when we embrace the idea that everyone is in process. And this is grace that we can extend to others and to ourselves. As people in community, we should also be calling out other people's giftings. And we can only do that if we're actually paying attention to other people. And if we're willing to show our hand and to give up the illusion of control that can come from keeping secret what you see in others. Honestly, a bit more sinister take on that. When we are willing to potentially give them a leg up, to give them the upper hand, by letting them know the gifts that we see. That's what we should be doing. But becoming more authentically us and others becoming more authentically themselves, this benefits everybody. And oftentimes it takes other people to see those areas that we just can't. So this includes healthy blind spots or those things that we take for granted in ourselves because we've just always been wired that way. We've always been able to do it. And so it takes other people to call out the fact that like, this is not normal. This is a gift. This is something special about you for us to, to become aware of them. But it also works 
the other way. So for this, the role of community to help others become aware of those less positive blind spots is something that Tim and I have a shorthand for, where we'll kind of look at each other and say, who loves them enough? So in other words, who loves them enough to tell them? Who loves them enough to tell them that their response was actually really hurtful? Or that their words were unkind? Or that, dude, they're, they're never going to get that solo. Who loves them enough to tell them these things? And I pray that we all have people in our lives that love us enough to call out the good and the bad, because that will help us grow into the people that we were made to be. I also pray that we are stepping into that role for other people in our lives. The table groups that Alex talked about that are starting soon, this could be a great way to tiptoe back into community and to practice becoming with others. Okay, I know it's hot, so one final thought. I've mentioned a few times already that becoming isn't linear and that our growth rarely follows clear steps, but I want to come back to that. I love the TV show, The Good Place, and it, for people who aren't familiar, is about a group of people that, after they die, meet each other in The Good Place. So it's a comedy, but it is driven by these deep conversations about philosophy and the meaning of life and how we're supposed to interact with each other, and there are also a lot of flying shrimp. So, one of my biggest takeaways from this show that I keep coming back to is their concept of time. So, the gist of this is that for us, time is linear. For those in the good place, however, they've come to realize that time isn't linear, and so instead of using sequential dates or timelines, to mark the passage of time, they use Jeremy Baramy. Jeremy Baramy is literally the signature of the name Jeremy Baramy. And so they're able to say, hey, my first day of school, it was on the E right here, you know, or whatever. I'm not here to talk about the passage of time. That's actually not what this illustration is for, nor does it really matter how Baramy is spelled, because if you were to see my notes, there are a lot of options. But... I do think it's worth bringing up because of the picture that it provides us when applied to our concept, our experience of becoming. Because even if you're on board with most of what has been said today or some of what has been said, we're still really conditioned to think that growth when done right should happen in a linear progression. That there should be a clear output and that makes sense to us. But many times our growth actually looks a lot more like Jeremy Baramy. So imagine your own signature. Like, think in your mind what your signature looks like. Through this one line, there are loops, and these can represent our growth forward and backwards. There are letters that go up and down, and these can represent both the deep, hard growth and that soaring growth where we really feel like we're on top of our game. Some of us even have a dotted I, and this might represent those times that you are doing that hard, deep work where you feel isolated and alone, but you can remember that ultimately it's still part of the whole. The signature-based understanding of becoming allows us to picture what it can look like to be in constant motion, to be in the process always of becoming, yet not always be moving forward. It also provides a picture of how we can each have a signature, but we can still experience something a bit different. Because where I have a loop, 
Maybe your swoops. If I'm feeling untethered while I'm crossing a T, maybe you're really experiencing those ups and downs of the M. This week, I'd encourage you to all write your signature, to take some time with God, praying through the loops and the dots, the ups and the downs, and thinking through what they represent in your story of becoming so far, because we all have one. Then find someone with whom you can practice becoming in community and celebrate where you are now and what you sense coming next. And through it all, I would encourage you to pay attention to how your body feels, how you're responding to both the memories of the past and the nudges for the future. The band can come up and then communion, we can start getting that. They're ready. Um, as we move into this time of community, um, let's take a moment to pause and to reflect. We are invited to the table to remember that we already belong and that our becoming is an overflow of the love that we've already been shown. So as you get the elements, take them. And I would encourage you just to be thinking about that. Not about next steps, not about to-do lists, but just to rest in that love and belonging that that overflow is built out of. And another way we can act on the overflow of love is through giving. There's the box in the back where you can put your offering, but there's also a way to give online. This is a way that we can remember that we are all in this together on our road of becoming. We each have something that we can give. So go ahead, take the elements when you receive them. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.